Would you rather be a giver or a receiver? Fascinating question we're going to delve in today. But this relates very much to the topic of love. Now, if you stretched everything that human beings have written about love, you know, letter by letter, paragraph by paragraph, that would go all the way to the edge of the universe and probably beyond. Love is such a hot topic for, for everyone. And yet a lot of people don't understand it. And they, they've said the strangest things about it over the years. For example, when Sigmund Freud was asked to name the tasks of the healthy adult, he replied, quote, love and work. Wow, interesting. But of course, as far as men are concerned, he also said, where they love, they do not desire, and where they desire, they cannot love. That was Freud. Then, love is nothing but lust with jealousy added. Lars von Trier from his film Nymphomaniac. Iris Murdoch said, love is the extremely difficult realization that something outside of yourself is real. Okay. Then one of my favorite quotes, which is extremely enigmatic, but uh, significant all the same, is from French psychoanalyst and philosopher Jacques Lacan. Love is giving something you don't have to someone who doesn't want it. One interpretation of this famous statement is that what people give and call love often isn't real love because they do not yet have it to give. So this kind of sets the framework up for today's conversation on giving, receiving, relating to love in some ways. And our special guest, our very special guest is Anita DiFrancesco, MA, Master of Arts. She is a somatic organomy psychotherapist, a two-time award-winning journalist, a love and relationship coach, the founder of Tantra Wisdom and Kinepathics. She is the host and programmer of the Discover Joyous Love podcast and the It's Your Voice podcast, available on all podcast platforms and also as videos on YouTube. And she's the author of two outstanding books. The first is Live Free, Recreate and Liberate Your Life, one of the most practical guides toward good, healthy living and thinking that I've ever come across. And the Donna Gentili story about the brutal murder of her first cousin and Anita's quest, her passion to identify the killer. Her mission, mindfulness, sexuality, relationships, to educate people to enlightenment and awareness, to free the emotions from pain, to learn to love more openly, to express the hidden voice inside of you, and to re recreate a more purposeful, empowered, and happy life, thus awakening from separation and suffering and embracing the modern world with openness and love. Anita, good morning or good afternoon, as the case may be. Hello. How are you, Randolph? Nice to be here with you. I'm so pleased to have you here because these are questions that I'm honestly been dying to ask you. So instead of dying, I'm going to ask them here in this podcast. <laughs> so the first thing which takes us back to our kind of overarching theme today is would you rather be a giver or a receiver and equally important what is the difference between the two well hmm, actually personally i am both and what what i want to say about giving and receiving is it's 
it's, it's it, it, giving and receiving are different expressions of the same flow of energy in the universe. You cannot be a giver unless you're a receiver and you can't be a receiver unless you're a giver. But then again, these two energies, they can be, there are many other factors that kind of get in the way, obstacles of people wanting to give and receive. So again, you know, it's not as easy as it is said, because a lot of people take receiving sometimes or as seen as what we would call takers, people that are selfish, that just want things for themselves. They don't want to give back. Now, giving and receiving has nothing to do with material. So keeping that in mind, it has to do with anything, a smile, giving someone a smile today or telling, giving someone a compliment, how they look, they look good. So these two, these, these are the things, it's about opening your heart, giving and receiving. It's just about having love flow through your body rather than hate. And it doesn't necessarily cost anything, folks. It is really free to give and receive. Now, if you want to get into materialistic stuff, that's a whole different ballgame. But that's not where, where giving and receiving, um, even, even uh, where the root of giving and receiving is. It comes from the heart opening of love. And to give is maybe to listen to someone's problem for a day. Your friend calls you. They want to vent about something is to be that open ear for them, that supporting friend. That's giving. That is giving. But our world is so commercialized. They don't see giving and receiving in that way. They see it as a materialistic way, as a selfish way. Even in sexuality, you have two people. And in Tantra, my work, Tantra Wisdom, one of the biggest exercises is balancing out giving and receiving and teaching people, especially in romance and, and sex, is that there should be this balance. Now, some people complain, uh, students of mine, they say, well, you know, I don't get you know, enough hugs in the bed or he or she you know, is, is the one that receives more. And, and, and when you get down to the nitty grittiness of sex and romance and passion, that's where you see the true colors of someone about the giving and receiving. Because really people like to receive, they wanna receive all that attention of affection and love and orgasmic pleasure and all that stuff. But Sometimes somebody's more of the giver and the other one is not receiving as much. So this is where we come together. Let's have a conversation about love, folks. Bring the couple together and teach them how to ask for what they want, what I need more of in my relationship, what I need more from you. And this is how the couples will start to practice love and learn about what each other's needs are. For basically, you really have to teach your partner what it is that you desire. And so the giving and receiving doesn't just begin in the bedroom. Where it begins is in the outside world and in your direct surroundings. And what, what is the foundation that you came from in your family upbringing? I mean, was there, were you neglected? Maybe the one of your brothers and sisters, your siblings received more than you. And so you felt like now you have to be selfish in the world because you didn't get what they got. They got more toys and more things. And this is where that selfishness comes in and that, that part of a person that basically freezes or becomes um, isolated and they shut down a part of their heart. And this is where a lot of relation, and one little thing can scar a person with uh, giving and receiving. So it is one of the most important exchanges that we can have with someone. I mean, that is basically, what do you think, Randolph? Don't you think that's what life is all about, giving and receiving? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, not to throw flowers at myself as uh, someone I know well, also a psychotherapist, by the way, I always said, but not to throw flowers at myself, but I think there's such a pleasure, a word I really like, and people sort of uh, eschew it, they kind of, ah, I don't like to use that word pleasure, because, the, you know, when you talk about pleasure, it sounds like you're being selfish, you know, like, oh, pleasure, pleasure is all about the self, mm. but pleasure is, there's such a pleasure <clears throat> in giving, in all aspects of, of, of giving, just, uh, I talked about in, a, in another episode of this uh, podcast series, just going through life, and I had a New Year's resolution a couple of years ago that uh, what I want to be is the nicest, most gracious person anyone will meet during the day, because if you have that positive energy, and where does that, that positive energy really begins with one thing, Either you can get caught up in your relationships with your parents or your mother in particular, that's what psychoanalysis is all about, trying to unravel that. Or you can basically learn something really simple, which is self-love. It's like the, Jacques Lacan was saying, you know, uh, uh, love is giving something that you don't have as someone who, who doesn't want it. But I mean, the way to get love and to experience love and have your, your love flower, in my opinion, it starts with self-love. What do you think? I think so. It's the law of love and success, the law of the heart, you know, the emotions. Um, you know, one thing that uh, I'll quote Deepak Chopra, he says, the law of giving is very simple. If you want joy, give joy. If love is what you seek, offer love. If you crave material affluence, help others become prosperous. That is so brilliant. And, that is so, yes, so brilliant. And, and, and that's, that's Deepak Chopra. His, um, so the whole thing is, is but see, what, what it is, is that, like you said, Pete, there's a lot of shame and guilt and hiding around, oh, should I receive? I feel guilty to receive. Or, or like when you give someone a gift and they over thank you for it. Oh, you, I, this is one thing I really don't like when I give a gift to someone and they go, oh, you didn't have to do that. You just took away the art of giving for me, the heart. Right, right. You, 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 you know, I want to give because that's what I'm doing. And, and whether it's a, a, a nothing gift or an expensive gift and, and getting into a material part of things there, you know, it's, it's, it's something that the giver it has opened their heart to do. And, and then the other person just slams you down. Oh, you didn't have to do that. You know, oh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, my mother used to do that to me. You know, I would give her a gift. Oh, you didn't have to do that. I don't even like the gift. It was like, you know, I made sure that I sharpened my skills on giving and receiving as I got into my transformational process, because that right there made my heart shut down, made me feel guilty about receiving. Oh, should I not receive something? So I go all out of my way and I've learned from, from the, um, the, 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 the things that I was surrounded with. A lot of people don't, don't learn because they're not open-minded enough to say, hey, you know, I could change that. I could make myself better just because, um, you know, I came from this or that. So really, it, it involves work, giving and receiving. It is part of the life. Uh, another, yes, one, one of it's one of the most. Uh, I'll just share a few things I have here. It's one of the most important exchanges that we can have with someone to understand giving. You must understand the importance of receiving. So it's 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 synergetic. And in tantra, when we do these exercises and this this breathing work and all of these different uh, chakra balancing exercises, you become both of those things. You become one as the giver and receiver to yourself. I give to myself and I receive to myself. Therefore I can give 
to the universe, I can give to the human being, and I can also receive from the universe. See, so universally we receive. What do you receive from the universe? You know, do you ever hear people say that, um, Randolph? Um, the universe will give back to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the it other... could be car- karma, whatever. What, what, what do you feel about that? The universe will give back to me. Well, there's this thing called the law of conservation of matter and, and energy, which means that everything is matter and everything is energy because there's essentially no difference between them, uh, as is becoming increasingly obvious over time. But people, people refuse to, to, how can I say, to log into that. They don't get this notion that, that nothing is ever going to escape out of the universe, out of life. It's all there, and it's constantly being renewed by forces, by energy, by psychic things. There's this thing I was reading about and had on a podcast about the notion about the relationship rather between the chakras and one's psychic power, one's ability to sense and feel what others are experiencing and even to predict the future out of that. There's so much energy out there. There's so much knowledge and information and if you will, data out there that can enrich Mm. us in every way, but we're closed off to it. People get closed off to it by language uh, in a lot of ways, by the media and by, you go through life uh, kind of on the basis of logistics. You know, I gotta go here, I gotta go there, I gotta buy this, I gotta do this. And even when people are couples, they get caught up in this thing where everything's about that kind of thing, scheduling and little things like that. And they never get the opportunity to, to really have that sharing. Which brings me actually to the, the, the next question that, that I'd like to ask is, how does this balance of, of uh, rather of giving and receiving support a healthy romantic sexual life? Well, the balance is it doesn't begin in the bedroom. Like I said, you right. know, um, you first of all, you have to teach each other what it is that you what you desire, what you need, what you want. I mean, in the bedroom, there is a lot of unbalanced. There's always one that's more of a, of a, of a receiver and the other one is more of a giver. And you, you find a lot of women are, are givers, you know, and a lot of men are, are um, we have to teach the male energy a little bit more how to be more giving. Not that men aren't. There are a lot of men that are, but generally speaking, uh, I've heard a lot of women be more of the giver in the bedroom, you know, and, uh, but then again, um, how do we balance this out? You, tantra exercises, you know, learning how to communicate your needs, your wants, doing the different, what we do is we do with the, the Johnson Johnson um, general touch exercises with each other, where it teaches you how to critique. You touch me and I will sit here and just let you touch me, my arms, my neck, my face. And for, for about five minutes, one person will receive and the other, and then you switch partners. So it's about doing dyads. And where you're switching partners, you're going back and forth where one receives and one is just being present and, and one gives. So you go back and forth with that, even in the, in the communication statements that we use. And this whole thing with the dyads is very, very profound. It's very powerful. I mean, you cannot imagine how this can really um, be influential and you know, instrumental in a relationship when it comes to uh, affection and compassion and understanding, because a lot of the questions get into, you know, what do you feel, what, what emotions uh, about the emotions, the attention, the intention. 
So the, we teach them how to one receive and then the other one receive. And it's timed. It's actually timed. And so therefore, you are really getting the equal, the equality, so to speak, there. But it has to be practiced. You have to practice, you know, the practice of love. You have to continually practice at, at bringing your love to different levels, your sexuality. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's about teaching. And um, ideally, the exchange of giving and receiving is, is, is effortless. But you may be a great lover, but have a struggle to receive. Some people are really great lovers, but they can't receive. And over time, you start to develop resentment, anger. So what happens is, is that when, when the anger starts to come in, this is where sexual armor develops. People go, they start to become armored or this, this, this part of them that isn't able to receive. It stems back. It's all stems back to childhood. And, um, and this is um, where we have to look at what, what they have come from. Uh, they may have been neglected. So if they're neglected, they're going to maybe be a giver because they're trying to get love, or they may be a receiver because they didn't get enough love. Some people who are neglected become over givers. They'll give the shirt off their back just to, to hopefully get that piece of love, that piece of the puzzle that was missing, that emptiness in them. And a lot of these people turn to addictions too mm. over time and they become sex from love addicts too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, sex and love, beside drug, alcohol, all that other stuff, it's all one bubble. It's one big book. But I was going to get into the importance of giving and why you are giving. Okay, so here, let's see. I have a few things I, I made note here. Ask why you are giving. Sit down with yourself, take a breath, and ask, why are you giving? Consider the true meaning behind it. You're giving from love and not expecting anything in return. Um, or maybe you never felt that your cup is empty. You become freeing and energizing, experiencing, enabling to focus on what you have to offer. So what I want you to do is the audience to sit down and just question yourself. Why are you giving? Are you giving because you're driven? And if you're driven, there's tension. Or are you giving because it's a calling? Or are you giving because you're balanced and you have this nature that maybe your nature is a little bit more giving than someone else's? Remember, we always have to have healthy boundaries. Are you giving because it's the calling of the human condition to give, to give, to listen to someone, to give a smile, to hold the door for someone is giving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's giving. Yes. It's not about material folks. It's not about money. It's not about, it's not even about sex, but since we're in a love and relationship coach here, we're, we're going to bring all that into it. So, but what do you think about that? Why, 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 um, why are you giving? Do you ever consider the meaning behind it, uh, Randolph? Well, to go back to what I was saying a couple of moments ago, uh, there is pleasure in giving. And the pleasure comes from, from two sources. One, it is that internal pleasure, the feeling of opening your heart, the feeling of feeling the love inside yourself, the feeling of happiness, mm. the feeling of energy that you get from giving. And then there's also this wonderful response or bond you get from the other person. It's like when you give, even in a casual way to, I was saying something in the previous episode about a, uh, a clerk at the checkout stand at Target. 
And you have, when you really have that kind of conversation, thank you, thank you, you're welcome, you're welcome, even if it's just that simple. And there's like a bond that forms. And it's like, all of a sudden, you're realizing that we two people or three people or whatever, are like chosen and special, because we're part of this almost brotherhood, sisterhood of people who have pleasure in giving and, and receiving and like to make the other person feel feel better. I'd like to go back to the bedroom, literally, although I'm, I'm actually recording this from my office, not from my my, my, my bedroom, and just, <laughs> say, and just say that uh, I think one issue for men is that what they always want to do, you know, giving is for some, like you were saying, giving for some people, they only do it when they think they're going to get something in return. You know, so many, uh, many men exert in, in, or, or in activities in a sensual situation entirely to quote unquote, turn the woman on in a certain way. And among couples, it gets really, really routine. Uh, and I don't, that's not real giving. That's not real sensuality. That's not real sharing. It's something about the, the male ego in a lot of ways doesn't allow the man to really give fully from his, art, from his heart. And that's always troubled me. It's never been a problem for me, but I look at other men that I know and famous people and I say, wow, that's just so sad. Interesting. Yes, it's um, people do tend to give if they're going to get something back. They have this, you know, tit for tat or balancing the scales, so to speak. But the real balance comes from the heart. And there is, and when you are fluid and in the blissfulness of your sensuality, um, there is no giving, there is no receiving. It's just the nature, the fluidity that you are guided by, the body's fluid, fluid system. Now, some people give because they're very needy. You don't. You have to be careful. You know, you need boundaries because of the neediness. But, the, like you said, the pleasure from giving, whether it be sexual, whether it be, you know, um, hearing someone's uh, dra dramatic story for that hour, or but also you got to keep in mind when you're, you always have to. Like I said, you need the protective boundaries because, the ego in general can zap you the person that is selfish, that is, that's going to come in and zap your energy. Yes. yes. And they, they can be the vampire yes. because they see that you're by nature giving, or you're just, you're just in touch with that part of yourself of giving, we'll say. Um, some people aren't in touch with that because they're frozen. They don't know what it is to receive. And if you don't know what it is to receive, the giving is not going to be there. But if you're in touch with that, then people can come in and zap the energy. And in the bedroom, sexually speaking, one can zap the energy. It could be the female or male ego. It doesn't right. necessarily have to be the male. Right. I, I, I feel that way. So there's an importance of giving and there's also an importance of receiving. So the importance of receiving is, and giving is growth. Right. Giving only works when there's a receiver. How are you giving if there's no receiver? Right. Self-worth. So, but then again, there's a whole nother aspect of giving and receiving, the giving the gift of love to yourself, self-love, right. pampering yourself, spoiling yourself, whatever it is, giving to yourself, having that relationship with, I give to my inner child all the time. Me and my inner child, we, we walk down the street together. We travel together. We do lots of things together. And she is always there and I'm always giving her and she's always giving me and we're going back and forth. But this is a 
like a model, a tool that you can actually learn from your own self, your own, the psychology of yourself, how to extend that into the world. You know, so you have to learn it with yourself first. Really, we learn it from our parents, but a lot of us don't have, didn't have, you know, um, the proper, a lot of dysfunctional upbringings, uh, obstacles in the way, parents divorce. So it becomes, people become selfish and they become hungry for, they're really hungry for love. And they're hungry for uh, affection, love, attention mainly. So that's 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 what they're they're hungry for the attention, and then the attention could they could fall off the grid and go into addictions, you know. And the universe operates through the, this dynamic exchange, giving and receiving. Everything we do is giving and receiving. You receive the gift of oxygen from trees and give them carbon dioxide. Insects yes. receive nectar from flowers. And they give the gift of pollination. So since we are part of nature, you too need to both give and receive to stay happy and healthy. So we are nature. Giving is a part of nature. It's the, it's the natural organism of the body that, that is, um, if, you're, if you're in touch with that part of yourself, if you're embodying the essence, the feeling, the sensual, the being, you naturally want to give to someone. You know, but then again, we teach you how to have boundaries so that you're not, you know, falling off the hook, giving, giving you, yeah, I'll give you everything. I'll just give you my car. I'll give you every piece of, uh, you know, attention you need. I'll give, I'll give, I'll give. That's a sickness. sickness, Okay. That's people that, but that's, that's not what I'm really talking about. I am, but I'm not, I'm just, um, saying that, uh, the giving and receiving in the gen in the generality of life, just in everyday life, how people can really um, share this exchange. And uh, but what we do need is more love in our bodies. And this is where tantra comes in, opening up the senses, sexuality, the passion, the chakras, uh, teaching yourself how to open up more to love and bliss, so that you're you're not in what we call the shame and hiding. The shame right. and hiding wouldn't allow you to receive. Oh my goodness. Oh, she gave me a gift or, <laughs> ooh, right. or like, or, Oh, well, I just gave some girlfriend of mine a gift and she just like battered me to death. Why did you buy me this gift? Uh, I go, because I felt like it. You uh, just, away. I don't even buy her gifts ever once in a great while. And I just felt like doing it. You know, when I feel like doing something, see, I'm transformed and balanced. So I don't have to worry that like, Oh, did I overgive? Oh, did I undergive? Oh, I'm a transformed balanced person. You know, she isn't. So therefore in her mind, it's a calculated thing to give. And in my mind, it's a feeling. But it's also this kind of, kind of spontaneity of going through life and expressing your feelings and your, your generosity and your desire to give without a kind of censorship inside of yourself that is always looking for ulterior motives or feels creepy or isn't, you aren't open enough to love, to accept, to give just openly with happiness and responsiveness and joy. It's a sad kind of place to be. Yes, it is. If, if you're unable to receive and, and one cannot happen without the other. Right. But if, if you are giving and whatever it is that you're giving, um, you know, whether it be a smile, like a homeless person you see in the street and you just smile, that is the biggest gift of love. You can give someone, make their day just to smile and, and being courteous to people. Yes, you know, yes. 
talking nicely. I mean, giving comes naturally to humans because it taps into the innate part of ourselves, that part Mm -hmm. that says, I want connection. And it can't be done in the technical world, such as texting or on the, on the zooming, like we are. Right. right. Doing okay. So go ahead. Your turn to talk. (laughs) Anyway, something that I really picked up on, I I picked up on everything you've said uh, in this uh, conversation, because it's all so, so important. Something you said a a moment ago is that, you know, we're all part of nature in a certain way, which reminds me of a book that a woman named, philosopher named Jean-Via Joy wrote about the philosopher Baruch Spinoza, uh, because his belief was that Deus siwe natura, God or nature. In other words, he thought that God and nature were the same, kind of a pantheist. But this belief that we are part of nature, you know, and for this belief, by the way, he got excommunicated from Judaism and the philosopher Gottfried Leibniz put a hit out on him just for saying that we are part of nature. But it is so true. And the joy of being a part of nature, the joy of feeling that as we move through life is so, so, so important. But sometimes people find, uh, depending on their needs, what they need, it's hard for them to be more giving or be balanced in the giving and receiving. And that's why they have to do the work. I practice the uh, or somatic organ, organ energy um, psychotherapy where the people can open up to the sexual armor. And the sexual armor is all over the body. It's not right, the sexual right. armor sexual genitals it is all it's in your brain your sexual armor it's in your head it's in your nervous system the sexual is the chi energy right right. but so so when you find but people don't have what we hold the consciousness and awareness they do they're they're a lot better these days now of course you know i mean i know in la my 20 years there everybody's much more conscious because that's the that's like the pool where everyone goes for that and uh but there's still now, since we've had this lockdown, I'm starting to see, I'm getting more and more um, clients that are interested in really opening up the part of themselves that went dormant. Some of them went a little off, a little crazy within themselves during the lockdown. And that kind of shifted their, their patterns to a different level that they're seeking help now. In other words, it could have been a good thing psychologically for some people that are very oppressed and suppressed that never would find a way out of that. But a lockdown being crazed can actually open that door for someone. And that's what I've seen happening right now. People Let's are- talk specifically, sorry, about the, the emotional aspects of giving in and, and, and receiving, because I think that is so, so key. When you give, of course, it's from the heart, you're giving, or are you giving out of obligation? Are you giving to have that feeling of love and, and that, that um, graciousness, that, that precious moment that comes with giving and the idea of wrapping a gift and putting all that effort and energy. I know we do it romantically, but mm-hmm. even for friends that you want to surprise, you know, people do that. They, they, they surprise people. They, they, the balloons, the party, whatever. But there is an emotional aspect to this. It's, it's again, with the receiving part, the emotional part with the receiving is permission. It's permission to open mm-hmm. up to the Absolutely. gift of life, right. the collectiveness. It's the permission, giving yourself the permission to receive. And giving is allowing yourself to come out of the isolation and the hiding and, and, and remove the shame and right. not 
you know, some people feel they there's a shame based around all of this. What do you think about the emotional parts of this? Well, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. I mean, in so many ways, we live in a society that is both guilt and, and shame based. And to a certain extent, you know, guilt and shame are emotions that can help you correct yourself, you know, when you've done something that is, you know, morally incorrect. But when it comes down to a sort of self-censorship, or really it comes down to a corrosion of your sense of love and your sense of self, and that's really, really not good. I also feel that a lot of people are emotionally blocked. I think that this applies more to men than to women, because I think women among their own friends and the other women that they know are more likely to let down their emotional boundaries and, and share, whereas men really don't do that all the time. You know, if you get into a group of men talking about women, for the most part, it's, it's uh, I wouldn't say crude, but it, it lacks the kind of ability to go into things in an emotional way and air their feelings. Men seem to be so blocked and they really need ways to kind of break out of that. I happen to be not one of those guys, but a lot of people I know, a lot of men I know are. What do you think about that? About communicating um, their, their feelings? Absolutely. Yeah, well, in Tantra, we, we, we uh, open that up in, in, the, uh, in the couple because uh, men are just not, men really need to learn to communicate yes. deeper and more, 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 more deeper, more, um, more connected with the, the partner, but also about the feelings of vulnerability. Of course, they're, they're into sort of like being the savior, protecting themselves, protecting, they kind of grow up with that mentality of being the savior, the saver, uh, the savior to people and the pr protecting themselves. But right, right, they right, tend right. to, they tend to have a lot of armor up in the chest area. Absolutely. The men and the woman in the lower body has the armor. And so um, what, what men need to do is to tap into the spiritual side, you know, taking yoga, doing things of spiritual, going to meetings, whatever it is, getting into transformative uh, discussions like men's groups and the Tantra. And oh, there's a lot, a lot of men nowadays that are expressive and open and showing their vulnerable side. Um, and part of that, when you show that vulnerable side, you're receiving, you're receiving what's coming in. <laughs> and um, more or less, it's a lot of time people have the fear of abandonment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they have the fear of uh, whatever their fears are that are, that they're, you know, their trauma in their body, they, uh, they, they are living with those fears. And so this whole thing about not expressing is a way of survival. It's the survivor part of them that comes out and says, I'm surviving. I have to be in denial. I can't communicate like I like, therefore exactly. I can't enjoy pleasure. Exactly. That's a, that's a survivor tool. Yes. But once they realize that they can, that it's okay to step out of this being a survivor. Yes. It's okay. Anyone, even a woman, uh, to, to step out of that, that shell. I mean, of course, with work and attention and a coach, you, you need to have someone because it can be scary. Then once they're able to step out of that, they're going to be able to start to feel again. See, they had to, they couldn't feel the pain that the, the family was giving them growing up. So they went into a frozen side. And if they allow themselves to feel and be vulnerable as a child, they might've gone schizophrenic or something, right. or they might've gone into suicidal. Um, 
that's why kids are schizophrenic because they go into schizophrenic because they, they, they allow themselves to, to be vulnerable and feel all the pain and the abuse that they're getting from the, uh, the qualifiers, you know, the parents, they're the qualifiers. And then they realize they're such a young little thing that their body and mind can't handle it. And then they go into schizophrenia or something. That's how those kind of person, those clinical psychological disorders are developed. And, uh, but if they block themselves and freeze, then they'll just grow up to be a, a character of denial and, you know, hate, but they'll still have normalcy in their brain, you know. This is also true. It is also, also true. And men, to, to state the obvious, but it's something that needs to be repeated, and men feel so threatened about their masculinity, their sexuality, their sense of power, their desire to be dominant. If those things are challenged, in, 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 particularly by women, but even in their, their, their day-to-day life, I think sometimes in relationships, men kind of want to play out that, both the hero side, but also the kind of dominant and controlling side that they really can't do in, in other aspects of their lives. And a relationship, in my opinion, should never be like that. You know, a, a man should never work out whatever frustrations he has about his masculinity or his desire for power or authority in his relationship. I think that is absolutely toxic and can, in extreme forms, lead to violence, in my opinion. Right. And then they develop the narcissism, the psychopathy, those right. kinds of uh, traits of that, not not full blown, but exactly. traits of that character can live in them. And then they are you know, of course, they're love avoidant, they're devoid of feelings, they don't allow the feeling to come through, and, um, and then the ego becomes overdeveloped, and, uh, and they become this, um, you know, controller, so to speak, yes. of themselves, yes. of themselves, and, and, the, and the people around them, at least the partner, the woman, or whatever, and, right. and the woman can become this way, too, but the male, yes, men are threatened by their, their, their own masculinity, and if they carry that that uh, dominant side, if it's very pronounced, I think that 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 could be um, uh, 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 that that will be a, a, a red flag into seeing that they're threatened by their own masculinity. You know, and what do you do? These people, a lot of people, need work to open up the feelings and to to enjoy the sexual pleasure that, and a lot of time they. They don't allow themselves to have pleasure because they don't feel they deserve it. So you get into that deserving thing and that self-worth. And that's where that threatened by the masculinity because they don't have the worth. They don't believe in themselves. You know, it's so interesting because men are always the ones who, uh, you know, desperately need act like they desperately need to make sexual conquests or even not something that would be defined overtly as a conquest, but to, you know, have a woman, to have intimacy with a, a woman. But in doing this, they're really not really able to receive pleasure. Once they've made, once they've scored in a certain way, that's kind of it. And we're not even talking about, you know, one night stands, so to speak, or, or, or brief things like that. Even in the context of ongoing relationships, there's not this sense of mutual sensuality, this mutual sense of giving and receiving, because in a certain way, men are so blocked emotionally that they're only able to give and receive physically. They're not able to give and receive emotionally from their hearts. And I think that's sad. 
Mm. Well, a lot more spiritual men and the new yes. generation coming up, they're learning more about the feelings. In my generation, perhaps yours, um, we the men were not taught about feeling at all. And, at all. and the women were over emotional. And but then again, back in the day, women couldn't have their feelings or express themselves in bed. And if they made a sound in bed, they were condemned. You know, exactly. an orgasmic sound. Exactly. You know, remember back back in the, like the I don't know maybe the 1930s or something woman couldn't express herself in the bedroom like if she made a sound in the bed she, she she might get condemned or killed you know so women didn't have the voice and then the woman got the voice they became much more you know pronounced in the world and they they got their voice and then they got their courage and confidence but they got the movement the movement came for, for the woman the woman's liberation movement yes and indeed. then and and then the men that set them back even more with their right. emotions Right. <laughs> and it's it's sad because the woman kind of was treading now over the man, like move it, get out of my way. Right, right. But Which, the woman was abused. We're talking about the abused woman physically, oh, yeah. emotionally, or the oh, woman yeah. back back in the day who couldn't ah have her expression in the bedroom, you right. know, in, 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 in an orgasmic state. And in Tantra, we work with the chakras, and one of the main chakras is the throat, the throat chakra, the voice. Yes. And this is where you're you're connecting your sexual to your heart and to your voice, and you're you're being fully aligned so that you can have the fullness of the pleasure, the pulsating, along with Dr. Willem Reich's work, the, mm -hmm. the pulsating of the body. Right. And so the men with their emotions, um, we the men have are starting. There's a lot of masculine men training courses out there in tantra nowadays. I think the men have come a long way with emotional stuff. The new the new generation coming up because they go to yoga and they, you know, they they take part in a lot of energy work. I mean, in my father's day, there was no such thing, or he, they wouldn't even go to those kinds of things. You oh, know? never, never. I mean, and and to to really look at my own upbringing, my mother was the emotional one, the the giver. My father was cold, no feeling at all. I'm a little bit of both. I mean, oh, no. I, I, people say I'm statuesque without feeling. I'm cold. Some people say she's cold, no. but really, I'm I'm giving, but I have I have boundaries, you know, mm. and uh, I keep boundaries, but. Uh, when I saw that, um, when I look at my own life and I say, oh, my father was very cool because he didn't know how to be. And if I could only, that's why I got into Tantra. If I could only teach my parents how to have that balance, I would have loved to have teach taught them how to do this if, if the opportunity ever came, you know. Uh -huh. But then by that point, they were divorced. Right. But anyhow, and remarried and all of that. But yeah. this is it. It's men will, they will surpass. I think in the future, men will surpass women emotionally what do you think oh that would be that would be wonderful and amazing because there's so much toxic masculinity still out there and whereas i realize that uh, younger people i mean there are very few people younger than, than i am <clears throat> but uh, that the younger men are coming around and that is so so important and yet we have a culture that in some ways there's so much violence under the surface if you look at some rap and hip hop music, or you look at uh, some of the things that one sees on television and one looks at international world affairs and this constant state of tension and talking about war and aggression, you know, there's so much of this stuff, you know, Freud would have said, this is all ruled by the death drive. In a certain way, it's true. So we have to get this, this new awakening into, 
into the things that, you know, before my time, they talked about in the, in the 1960s, peace and love. Well, yeah, peace and love. Mm. What's wrong with peace and love? I think those are the things. Well, John Lennon was certainly a man of emotion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and he, you know, just by the music he wrote, but see, you, you can't just say all men are toxic. There is a lot of oh, toxic no, no, masculinity, no. but no, 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 I know that. There is a lot out there. Yeah. But like I said, like people that are a lot of men that are very artistic and like John Lennon, for example, and creative artists like that, they're much in touch with their emotion. Even I say the rap artists, even though they come from a stream of violence and they uh, rooted in, in their, their whole, you know, thing with the violence. And uh, I still think that they are creative emotionally to be able to perform for one thing and to be able to come up with this creativeness and it's a way of um, of transcending that anger through music, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And even though it's violent in the sense with a lot of rap artists, you always see a lot of gun killings, gun shootings. Yeah, that's true. There, it happens, half of them are die, die from being shot. Yeah, yeah. That's why I didn't go into rap this time, anyway. <laughs> you did. <laughs> although, although I used some rap kind of sections in my musical compositions. I have a, two more questions that I'd like to, to run by you because these are things that have come to my attention fairly recently, and I've just been dying to get your responses. Uh, a woman named Pamela Hogg, Pamela Hogg, wrote a book called Marriage Confidential, Love in the Post-Romantic Age. And the question is sort of, are we living in a post-romantic age? I mean, the old 20th century tropes of being romantic, you know, do they still apply the way that they used to? If you look at what romanticism means in terms of art and music and, you know, literature, it was always kind of formulaic in nature, the gestures. Uh, in, in, in drama and music, there was almost too much drama. You know what I'm saying? Everything was sturm und drang. So in relationship to uh, being romantic and romantic gestures, sometimes I think romantic gestures almost stand in the way of real communication. Some people get into that, that, that pattern. What do you think about the notion of being romantic today as opposed to what it might have been 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even longer? What does the word romantic mean to you? Well, I'm an incurable romantic. <laughs> oh, my God. Join the club. <laughs> I am definitely an incurable romantic. I am as a, I am a very, you know, a modern woman, but I have the old fashioned way of romance. Mm -hmm. um, what I think about romance is romantic gestures is that, first of all, in Tantra, we teach people about courting, how to get back to courting your lover, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. opening the door, um, telling them they look nice, appreciating, a lot of appreciation and honoring and worshiping goes on. Yes. Now, back in the day, I want to go back to people say maybe in the 40s, in the 1940s, when romance, they didn't have technology. They didn't have jobs. You know, women didn't go to work. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing was about the man went to work and he came home to have dinner and romance with his wife and that's what they did that's what they did because that's that's what they had that whole thing you know of course with the sexual revolution coined by Willem Reich and all the other things later that came into the world the obstacles of technology and medicine and traveling and 
smartphones and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Money, everybody has money. You know, people didn't have money back then to do things. Now everybody has money. Everybody has a job on the internet doing something. You can get money. <laughs> Listen, yeah, yeah. you can never, you don't starve anymore. There's free food and money just comes, you know? Yeah, I mean, back in the day, it was like, if you didn't have a job back in the day of my parents, saying you didn't have money. But today it's like, you can be creative. Well, I'll figure a way to make money. I'll go sell something online, oh, yeah. you know? So people have have that, that, um, that the, the chemistry has changed in the brain and the body cells, the chemistry. So we have produced a new person. It's like the chemistry is changing again with the whole cancel culture and all that and everything going on politically. There's more psychopaths being born right now or not born, but being uh, created. Exactly. They're not, they're not, yeah. So whatever's going on in the world. So romance is of course, art, music, literature, all of that stuff, you know, opera. Um, I mean, I'm a romantic type of person because I think that to be romantic, you have to see the beauty in, in anything that is, is livable, oh, yeah. whether it be the nature of life, the humans of life, and the, uh, the, the creative arts that are out there. Um, you know, well, everybody likes creative arts. I mean, some people like, you know, paintings, other people like, you know, rock and roll, people like jazz. But if you get the passion, so where the romance lives is in the passion of your heart. Yes. I have to do a topic on this. I got to get more clear on this. But the gestures, meaning um, like being romantic, opening, the courting, is that what you mean by gestures or no? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's part of it, but it's really an important. Uh, but I'm into that with oh, my yeah, men yeah. that I date, yeah. that I want them to. And if they don't, I'm a tantra teacher. I'm going to teach you how to pull out the chair when I go to sit down to have dinner, you know, and, and I've had that over the course of last year with someone I was dating that he would pull out the chair for me or open the door. And, you know, those kinds of things, those gestures have gone by the wayside because women are more stronger and courageous. And a man feels like, you know, she has power or maybe he's by him doing that. He's, she's going to take more of his power, but I'll tell you the truth the man can get more into the feminine energy and he can become more powerful and look more great to her when he does these things. And whether she receives it or not, because she may not feel worthy, like, oh, he opened the door for me. Oh, he pulled the chair out when I went to sit down for dinner or, you know, he's um, rubbing my neck while we're sitting down watching TV or he's adoring me. This is Tantra. You learn how to adore worship. You have that reverence. You learn how to adore, worship, and honor. And this is all part of romance, is, is getting into the touch and the passion. And the, um, um, I mean, I, I don't know what other way to explain it. It is emotional, but a lot of people are not, they're, they're sort of more statuesque in that way these days. They're, they sort of, they're very technological, and I think they're losing the connection uh, to what romance was, I, I think. I, I totally agree with you on that. And I also think one word that you used is honor, which is one that I've used in my writing and also in my previous episodes of this podcast, that honoring one's beloved is so very, very important because that honoring shows respect, it shows care, it shows compassion, and it shows a real thorough appreciation of who that, that person is at every moment, which is so key in a relationship in particular, because so many people go through life feeling kind of unappreciated in some ways. People feel that way at work sometimes or in other contexts, but in your relationship, 
you should always feel appreciated. And if there's an issue that arises, even the way that one works through that issue can be a, a how can I say, can be a way of expressing mutual appreciation that we can face an issue and get through it with love and care and tenderness, the way that everything in life happens. Well, again, going back to Tantra, this is where I've learned how to use the words of, I appreciate you right. for having me on this podcast. I, what I appreciate about you is a statement I'll use, or what I honor about you, what I adore about you. And you sit facing your partner, looking in the eyes, and you and, and these, you're undoing the armor of the eyes. You're, you're actually creating a connection of intimacy by using these specific words. So words are power. Yes. I, what I appreciate about you. And then once you get the lingo down and you start to, uh, uh, you know, learn the wording, the romance comes. And this is where the courting continues or they, they, um, they reopen, they bring back the passion, igniting the passion to yes. the relationship. The passion is everything. It's not just the bedroom or sex. Yes. It's the passion of looking at each other and adoring each other and, and holding that reverence there in that heart all in, in one moment, what, no matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that, when you start to transform into the higher power, when you start to get blissful and learn what the Tantra is really about. And Deepak Chopra, he is a man of Tantra. He mentions Tantra in his books. And um, then you can be, you know, you can be who you are and you're, you're, you're on a different plane, so to speak. It's like, a, like almost like an out-of-body experience. You know, Anita is such an authority on Wilhelm Reich, ergonomics, and, but also on Tantra. And I've seen some of her videos that she has on YouTube and listen to other podcasts that she's had over the course of time. And when she describes the exercises, these, these mutual appreciation exercises, people really need those and can benefit from those. It's not just a matter of theory. It's not just a matter of hearing it here on this podcast. And I know that she is, she's readily available through her, her website, tantrawisdom.com. She's on Facebook, et cetera. But this is so important. I want to go on to one final question. Another thing I've been dying to ask you, I think I've died about six times during this one episode. <laughs> anyway, this is something I found fascinating a while back. And that was a sociologist named John Lee said that there are six love styles, as he called them. I'm going to read through them briefly. Eros, or passionate love. Ludus, the Latin word, meaning game-playing love. Storga, his fancy word for friendship-based love. Pragma, practical or shopping list love. You're going down a shopping list and seeing if your potential uh, boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband meets the list things on your shopping list. Mania is possessive or dependent love. And agape, an old Greek word, means all-giving selfless love. Now, Research has shown that men are more oriented toward game-playing love, and women are more oriented toward friendship love first, then to shopping list love, and then to possessive dependent love. I found this very fascinating. Is this a good way to conceptualize love? And I sometimes, you know, I took a test online, believe it or not, and guess what I'm, I'm into? I'm into friendship love, and I think uh, all-giving love. 
at, at which made me feel really weird. I was the opposite of what I should be as a man. I, I scored very low on game playing love. Maybe I should be a better game player than I'd, <clears throat> I'd get more um, sensual experiences. Anyway, but what do you think of, what do you think about this, this notion of men being into game playing love versus women being into friendship sorts of based love? A love that begins in, in, in the friendship rather than a sort of game playing scenario. Well, the game playing is more like you have a foot in and a foot out. Right. And a lot of time men will have that and they can they can cultivate that because they have the relationships they're in. They like the woman. It doesn't mean they don't like her and want to have something with her, but 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 in their mind, you know, after the six months of sex is done, they're they're out. Right, right. And basically the, 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 the most common, you know, the affairs generally when they're about sex or when you're meeting the person and you have that sexual chemistry, they generally last about six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's the game playing love. It's not that he's a player or he's playing. It's just that he, if he were to, just because you're having a sexual affair, uh, you know, the six month, and I've had, I've had many of them over the years. I mean, that's basically what they are. You, you know, there's only, in my mind, there's only one true love in life. And that's where I go back to the romance because you only have one twin flame, but uh, everybody's a soulmate. But when you, when you meet people and you want to have fun with them and you're having joy and you want to share and love, you want to keep a foot in and out. It's boundary. It's like a boundary that the man would have. Now the right. woman, she would be, um, like we say, the friendship love, um, shopping list, love. Of course, she's going to become more attached because women are that way. Yes. They're more attachable. And um, depending on, again, their psychological upbringings, the man or woman, anybody can attach, but the man has the ability to sort of, you know, not attach so easily because he's not in touch with his feelings as much as she. And the more you're in touch with the feelings and the more you go deeper in lovemaking with someone and sexuality, lovemaking, passion, all of that, then what happens is, is that those, that can of worm opens, you become more triggered because now you're starting to open up areas that are dormant, areas that need to, that haven't been expressed, but all of a sudden you got this love in your life and you're able, you're feeling content and safe and you're able to open up that part of expression through the healing each other through like trauma bonding sex during sex could be very trauma bonding like uh-huh, for, uh-huh. For, for, for couples. Uh-huh, um, yeah. And uh, once that can of worm opens up, uh, be, you know, uh, and, and they've never opened that up before they, they can become, you know, like we say, the possessiveness sets in, but it depends on the degree of their psychological uh, background of what they've come from. Uh, and uh, what kind of triggers they have. So, but don't get me wrong, the man could also be, um, but then this is where you have to have communication in the beginning. What kind of relationship are you having? Are you just in it for the sex? You meet someone? I mean, how could you fall in love with everybody? I mean, I've loved many, but I have never fought, fell in love. I have, that's why I am still not married. <laughs> uh... <laughs> because I've never fell in love. But oh, the my. thing is, there's only one I believe that you can love out there, uh, really love, be in love with. But I've loved many. I've had like my, you know, relationships for for a couple of years, but I really love the person, but I would never say I was in love. You know, so you have love from many different ways. You can love someone, you don't have to be in love, and you can have a beautiful, healthy relationship. But see, for a man who's just, you know, the foot in, the foot out, 
I don't think that all men are the game playing love. I mean, um, they get trapped in, in it, like it says here, you know, they get a little trapped because they, um, they don't want to, they don't want to open their hearts. They don't want to feel, they don't want to, they don't want to be, they don't want to be strapped down. Maybe she wants a baby. Maybe, you know, it's like a big responsibility for men because they come from like, you're the caretaker. You're the one that has, you know, have to have the job and take care of the woman. Now it's the opposite way. You know, the woman, the women are taking care of the men and uh, have wonderful careers, which a lot of us do now. And uh, so it's kind of, um, you know, the, the roles are reversing. The roles are reversing. Uh, what do you would so I don't know. I mean, I hope that was a good answer for you. It was, it was a superb answer. And as usual, you open up all kinds of new lines of thought and speculation and, and interest for me in saying that. Uh, may I make a confession here on, uh, on Explore Exotic Sensuality? This is this week's Randolph Confession. Okay. Just as, as, as you just said, which was a, um, an important, major important and interesting thing to say that you've never really, how can we say, really been in love and that, how would you express it again? You've never well, been in love. Well, I'm just saying I have loved many. I believe right. this is what I believe. You have many soulmates, but one twin flame. Right. And my parents were twin flames. And even though my father remarried and loved another woman, my mother was the one he was in love with, even, even though he was married to her 20 years and his second wife for 40 years, he was still, he was, my mother was the one he was in love with, but my stepmom, he loved her. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Different, big difference, mm-hmm. big, big difference. And I analyzed this the whole time growing up of how this became my whole like Dharma because of uh, the parents splitting and me going into you know, wanting to have that happy childhood of them. But my, but I believe that we have one true love and we have many loves. That's my belief. And to me, that's, that's, I don't know if that's like coming from an old school way of thinking or, um, or someone that's so transformed tantrically and emotionally that I'm not saying I'm perfect. I, I still have my flaws, but I am transformed in that sense to know like what I want. And when I see it, I want it. And and I know the difference. I know the difference. If this is sexual, if this is just love and compassion and greatness, or is this true love? How often do we get true love in life? That's going to be another topic. (laughs) Very good topic. Wow. What you say is, is so, so fascinating. And I do think it's partially your background and partially the, the generational factors or, you know, whatever, but it's also partially Tantra that has made you, and also the, the psychotherapy study, but Tantra combined with that has given you a more honest, if you want to say, perspective on love and what love means to you, which I think is great. Yes, it's uh, because in Tantra, because Tantra is a yoga, it's about discipline and responsibility, the yes. discipline of the pranayama. And so it uses the same philosophy as yoga because it is yoga, but it includes the, the senses of the body, learning how to have the same philosophy that you would as a traditional yoga student, as a class, classical yoga student, like doing poses, learning how to be disciplined and alignment of your spirit, your, your spirit, your mind, your body, your soul, all of that alignment. Yes. And that alignment, and then you take it to the Tantra, to the senses. And now you really have 
know how to be responsible, how to be grounded, how to be balanced. And now you can step into your sexual pleasure mm-hmm. because you have the tools. Yes. And now you have the knowledge to understand love and boundaries and vulnerableness and emotions. And it's, it's, um, something naturally that I just saw from very young. I mean, it just like, I knew, I know. And, uh, that's why I went into it to, to, um, you know, harness the work more, but that's what I believe. A lot of people don't, don't see the differences. They, um, they're basically in relationships because of, they have a lot of neediness. They can go from one relationship to another because of their needs, their neediness, their codependency. Absolutely. And, it, and they think it's love or they, oh, it's love. Oh, it's love, but it's not like, I don't know, being in love. You know, everything's love. You can create love. Why not? You don't have to be in love. Just create love through sex and fun and, you know, good, good, uh, good, good energy with a person. Well, like Freud was saying, you know, there are two tasks for adults. and One is love and the other is work, which I found extremely, you know, he really put love up there. But I didn't make my big confession. May I make my big confession? Uh-oh, what's the confession? And that is that uh, I'm not talking here about, you know, kissing and, and caressing, which I tremendously enjoy and, and <clears throat> perhaps I'm appreciated for, I would hope for, and I hope so in some cases. But anytime I've had full-fledged intimacy, uh, sex, as it's usually defined, with a woman every time, it has led to a relationship of one sort or another, You usually an exclusive relationship. And it's, I can't, I don't know why that is. It's a tendency of, a tendency of mine. And I can't claim to be the world's the world's greatest lover, the world's greatest looking man. Although looking at my profile picture, you might you might think that I am. It's just a strange kind of pattern that 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 I have, and I don't know if it's good or bad. I do know that that um, that in my life, women have tended to appreciate me for some of the qualities that we've discussed here. My my ability to, to really both give and receive, and to be tremendously open and to honor and respect women. I don't know. Perhaps this pattern on my part has prevented me from finding uh, my um, soulmate or my, my true flame. It's a beautiful expression that, 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 that you use. And sometimes I get into my mind, well, such and such was my true flame or is my, my true flame or whatever. But if that woman was my true flame, then we'd be together. You know, because it's just such a fascinating, fascinating thing, this exploration, this journey into love and into the kind of togetherness that we were all meant to have, this kind of coupling that we were all meant to have. Fascinating journey. Interesting. Well, I tend to go for the exclusive relationship one-on-one. You're like a one-on-one type. Right. And uh, the, the exclusive relationship Usually, if you meet somebody and it's about sex, you just want to be exclusive with them for a while, and then you yeah. want to sort of, you know, let you know let let down the guard after and start to get back your own life a little bit. But if you're meeting people and you're just having this exclusiveness, it might be something about yourself that you maybe you feel insecure. You don't want to lose the person, or Maybe you, maybe abandonment, you know, there's always that abandonment uh, factor that comes in where people don't want to be let down in the end. 
maybe in a certain way. I don't way. know. I don't think that's that for you, or maybe yeah. exclusiveness is, is exclusiveness is a way of having control of the relationship. I don't know. I think a lot of times, I mean, the women feel very possessive, have felt very possessive of me, and I, I don't understand quite why that is. It's uh, but anyway. This is such such interesting conversation, and we have so many threads to follow on our respective podcasts. And perhaps we'll do this kind of joint uh, episode again at some time in the future. I know it was a tremendous pleasure uh, of, on my part to be on your podcast as a guest, and here you are now on on mine. So I really want to thank you, Anita. This has been great. I'll say one thing: love is short lived. If you have that opportunity, and it's there. Please receive it. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to take one second. Oh, Anita, that's going to be part of my New Year's resolution for, for next year, although my overarching New Year's resolution is explore ecstatic sensuality. But that's neither here nor there. Let me say just very quickly what's, co what's coming up. Uh, for, for Christmas, for, for next week, I plan to do a very different type of podcast, which is going to introduce my listeners to excerpts from some of my musical compositions, not a technical discussion, but to, just to play you uh, some, some short passages or in, in some cases, some longer passages for music I've been writing as a classical composer. And then following that, we're going to do what I regard as a very interesting episode, which is a, an episode on open relationships, uh, menage a trois situations, kind of quadripartite relationships where the, the couple swaps on a you know, regular basis, as that term is used. And then we're also going to discuss uh, swinging, or as it's now known, the lifestyle. And this is going to be based on research by psychologists, interviews with with participants in these things, et cetera, et cetera. It should be really, really interesting. And it also asks questions like, do these open relationships, et cetera, promote or harm good relationship with your standard, normal, committed partner? Very interesting questions. And I think I may come up with some answers. So again, I'm not looking forward to this. Yes, this is going to be a fun episode, but we're going to save that for the pre-New Year's uh, celebration week. And next week we'll do music. Thank you again, Anita. Thank you, Randall, for having me on your show. And people can find me at tantrawisdom.com. And I have two books and you can uh, look on my thedonnagentilestory.com and live free. They're both available on Amazon, but you can look on the website and you'll see everything. Thank Excellent. you very much. This has been lovely. And Anita is also available for, for, for counseling, for, for therapy, for work in Tantra, depending on your location, but some of the things that she does are online, et cetera. So seek her out. I strongly urge you to, to do that. Thanks again, and I wish everyone a very nice week. Bye-bye. Okay.